Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, Jesus, bless this time. Uh, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. May you be uh, pleased with, uh, with the offering uh, that we bring. In your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to be this morning in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, if you recall, uh, we started this, this with, um, uh, with, with Joseph. Joseph and his generation uh, dies off, but they're, they're producing, producing, producing more children. The, uh, the, the ruler in, in Egypt becomes afraid. He says, let's wipe them out. They, uh, he says, sends out an edict that all the, all the male babies must be killed. Moses' mom, Pastor Tom talked about this last week. Moses' mom, her only option, she thinks, is to put him in a, in a basket. She puts him in a basket, floats him in a river. He's, uh, he's de- discovered by, the, um, by the, the daughter, uh, the wife and daughter of the, um, uh, of the ruler. Uh, they bring home Moses. Moses is raised... Uh, in the in the in the household, raised essentially like royalty. Uh, it so happens though, as he starts to realize kind of who he is and what what he's about, uh, he realizes that that he's an Egyptian uh, by by his ethnicity, not an, not an Egyptian by his ethnicity, but he's a he's a Hebrew. He he's out. He sees the the um, he sees the. Uh, one of the, the slave drivers mistreating uh, one of the Hebrew workers, and he ends up killing that, that man. Uh, he ends up from there running off. Uh, he runs a- away from there. Uh, he gets uh, out, uh, discover, meets his, his father-in-law uh, because of a multiplicity of things. He ends up uh, getting married there and, um, uh, and has a, a wife. Uh, I tell you that, <laughs> I, I just wanted to review, get us to kind of where we were so that we can jump into uh, Exodus chapter 3. So, uh, beginning in Exodus 3. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led a flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him with a, fl- with a flame of a fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here am I, Moses replied. Uh, Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet from where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out. Because of their oppressors, I know because, crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them uh, from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them to the land, to a land, good, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because... The Israelites cry for help. 
for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign that you, to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if, you go, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is his name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. Uh, there's more, but I actually am, we're going to stop, uh, we're going to stop there uh, in, in the story because uh, that's uh, what we want to lean into this morning. Here's the, the situation. Moses has run away from Egypt. He's run away because he's afraid. He's run away because he's committed uh, murder. Uh, he's killed somebody and he's afraid uh, of the repercussions. At the same time, he's afraid of his own people. And so Abraham is impulsive and he's been raised uh, in, in, the, in, the, um, in the palace, but he, he still is, uh, how do I say it? We sometimes think we talk about we talk about Moses because he's had a movie made about him, this kind of thing. The way we think about Moses is kind of naturally heroic in kind of our culture. But Moses, uh, though he is impulsive and he's protected his people and he tries to do, do things that are good, he's done much wrong and he's kind of on the run. And so while he's out just tending sheep, God shows up to him. It's always interesting when God shows up. It's interesting how God speaks to people. It's how God, uh, how God talks to people. It does not appear that before God shows up on the scene that Moses has a deep and abiding relationship with God. We would, uh, we would think because Exodus written by, uh, by Moses is, uh, is, uh, has been written by Moses that Moses is telling us how it was. It does not appear that Moses uh, is, is deeply aware of, of the religious... Uh, the, the religious tradition or the religious ways of his people, the Israelites. Maybe he is, but it doesn't sound like in the passage that he is. But God shows up, and God decides to show up. And the way in which God shows up is in an interesting way. I assume, if you think about introductions, and that's what this is as an introduction, the way in which God uh, shows up is that God makes an entrance here, but he's God, so what else can he do? He appears to them, in, appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. There's a bush that does not burn up, uh, and, and the, the bush is burning. Moses sees it, and he says, I must go over and look at the, this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Now, I have two observations on this. One is it's a very male thing. You see a fire, you go, what is causing this, this to burn? right? Uh, a lot of times from the time you're little, you're growing up, your mom, your dad tell you, don't play with fire. You could burn the house down. At the same time, I've noticed that every, uh, uh, every boy's favorite thing, should he be allowed to, is to play with fire. So we had a fire pit in the backyard. We would let the boys go out and at various times burn things back there. The favorite thing they ever burned was a, a, a Christmas tree. We had a Christmas tree that had, we had had inside for Christmas. Uh, we get real Christmas trees, uh, but we don't treat them well over the time they're in the house, so we don't water them. 
And so if you get a Christmas tree early enough and you leave it in your house and don't water it, it gets very, very, very dry. And so uh, the, the boys went out to, to play with fire uh, in, in, within the context that they were allowed to, to do so uh, in, in a safe way, sort of, uh, because they took the pine tree and they put the pine tree into the fire pit. And this is just a fun note. If you take a fire tree and put it into a, to a, to a, to a fire pit, um, the speed at which it burns will amaze you. So uh, cover your eyebrows. It goes up fast. It was like, poof. It went up. And so I was thinking that's kind of like a bush, except for this bush was alive, and Moses looks at it, and it's burning, but it's not burning up, which would be an interesting thing. It's just, it's just burning. And so on the one level, he says, let me go over and see why this isn't burning up. On the other level, he's kind of brave because you see a sight so strange. Uh, sometimes you want to lag back, but he does not. But God sees him coming over uh, to look, and God calls out to him and says, Moses, Moses, and Moses answers, here am I. Now, this is so interesting about Moses because in a minute, he's not going to be very brave about something. At this point, he is doing the opposite of what I would do. If something yells to me from a burning bush, right, if I'm someplace and I see a phenomenon, that phenomenon speaks to me, I'm going to yell and run. I'm going to scream. And maybe that makes me a wimp. Uh, Moses is not. Maybe you're like, I'm tough. I would talk to the burning bush. But in this case, Moses hears a bush talking to him. It's a supernatural phenomenon, something that's not seen. I remind you of these things because I always want to remind you that that which is supernatural is supernatural. We have a tendency to normalize the things that are in the Bible because we've been talking about them from Sunday school. So we're like, oh yeah, that was totally normal. It was the burning bush. Right, because we've all seen in our lives lots of burning bushes that don't burn up. But that's not the point. It's meant to be supernatural. There's a reason that it's supernatural. It's God did it, and only God can do it. And when we encounter something that only God did and only God can do, we should be, be appropriately shocked, amazed, awed, and otherwise, uh, otherwise uh, interested in what happens. Nonetheless, the Lord God calls for Moses. He says to him, Moses, Moses, Moses replies, here I am. God says to him, do not come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet from the place where you are standing as holy ground. In other words, Moses, it is God who's talking to you from the bush. And when I talk to you from the bush, there's an appropriate response. The way in which you approach me and the way in which you come to me is conditioned upon who I am and who you are. Take off your shoes. Don't, don't come walking up to me like this is nothing. Right? This is a supernatural presence of God experience, and Moses needs to approach that in the appropriate way. Uh, then he continued, God says to him, this is where I said it's like an introduction, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We talked about this before, we began with the prequels, when we preached our first couple of messages in Exodus, we preached them from Genesis to make the point that, that God has an overarching plan and to also make the point that, that Moses is a continuation in the line and the Israelite children are a continuation of, of the, the covenant with Abraham where it said his offspring would number as many as the stars. There is a connection to a historical reality. I am that God, the God who has made the covenant with, with Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, Moses hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. Again, this is appropriate, right? We do not, um, uh, and 
for a lot of reasons. One is because of, of the advent or the coming of Jesus, which we understand. We get to look at things from a New Testament perspective. We know that, that Jesus comes because we, uh, Jesus came to, to, uh, to bring God to us, to be God for us. Because of that, we tend to think in terms of, of personal relationships with God, which is good on the one level. It's excellent. We should. Jesus came for that. But we sometimes do not tend to think in the level of awe that is appropriate when, when, you, approach, uh, when you approach the Lord God. And I, I think that those two ideas in, in our minds and in, in our lives need to be held in, in tension. Uh, we need to be aware that indeed we can approach God, says it in Hebrews, therefore let us boldly approach the throne of God. We do that through Jesus, and yet at the same time, we should understand that the God whom we approach is the very same God who Abraham approached, and when Abraham hears who he is, he covers his face. I don't know uh, what it is like for you. The last time you, God spoke to you in, in Scripture, the last time, last time you were so awe, in awe of God that you, you covered your face because you were like, he is too holy, he's too grand, he's too great, he's too amazing, he's too wonderful, he's too awesome, I must cover my face. But that's what happens in the passage here. He was afraid to look at God. But then the Lord said, I observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of, because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a territory of the Canaanites, Hizzarites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God introduces himself. I am God. Uh, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He speaks to him in the bush. Abraham covers his, his face because he realizes that this is God, that this is an amazing thing. But God has an assignment for him. I have seen the oppression of my people, and I'm not intending to leave my people in oppression. So therefore, Moses, I've chosen you to go. And I'm speaking to you in this way because I'm sending you. And so hearing that, I chose so you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses then asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, this is, this is, uh, this is the point that hit me as, as, I was, as I was going through it. Abraham asked a, a question that most of us would ask when tasked with anything big. Someone comes to you and says, I want you to do this thing. And if you look at yourself and you go, I don't know if I'm adequate. I don't know if I have it. I don't know. Who am I that you would choose me? Now, all of us, in relationship to the fact that God would choose us to do anything, should say, well, who, who am I that you would choose me? But Abraham especially is like, why, why are you choosing me? Why have you chosen? And so I don't know in your life if God's ever called you to do something and you felt wholly and completely unprepared for it, you were asking yourself, well, why would you choose me? What's the, why would you not choose that person? Why not choose that person? Moses is probably thinking, God, don't you have someone infinitely more qualified to do what you're asking me to do than me? I'm just the guy who's on the run out here hurting, uh, 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 taking care of flocks because I killed somebody. Why are you asking me to do it. And so he starts to have, as I said, in the one sense he's brave, he jumps in impulsively and protects his people. But on the other hand, he's being asked to go and do something. He has, by the way, I, I saw in the, um, 
I saw uh, in a list of the greatest fears that people have that public speaking is like the number one fear for, for Americans. Similar here to what's happening with Moses. He has to go and speak, and that's, that's his, his fear. But I wonder if you've ever been asked by God or called by God, asked to do something by God, and your first response is, why would God choose me? Why me? That's Moses' question. And then he's like, why, why me? And then Moses asks a question. He says, who am I? Well, why did you choose me? It's important. Who, who am I? And so what he's looking for is affirmation maybe uh, for, for God to go, Moses, you're this, you're this, you're this thing. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm coaching uh, either football or I'm working with my boys and they're doing sports, I will often remind them of exactly who they are because it's valuable in, in sports. I'm like, no, you've got this. You've done this. You've practiced this. You're Jeremiah Drake, who's great at this. Go do this. Or you're Noah. You, you've got, I will remind them. Uh, if, if, uh, uh, if they're doing something where they develop, I'll say, this is who you are. And so we might expect then God to remind Moses who he is. Moses says, who am I that you would send me? We might expect God, well, remember Moses, you're this. Remember Moses, you're brave. Remember Moses, you're smart. Remember Moses, you're this. Uh, we grew up, uh, uh, some of us here grew up in, in the generation of Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live. If you don't know who Stuart Smalley is, Stuart Smalley was a guy who did affirmational uh, speakings. He was an affirmational speaker, and he would, he would look into the mirror and say, I want you to say to yourself that you're good enough. You're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. And so that was his affirmation regularly. We might expect God, when Moses asked, who am I that you would send me, that God would give him a, a daily affirmation, something to look in the mirror and go, this is who I, who I am. This is who, but he, God doesn't say, well, Moses, you're, you're smart enough. Moses, you're wise enough. Moses, you're brave enough. He doesn't, that's not how God answers. This is how God answers. Uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answers, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. So God's answer is not to Moses. Moses, this is who you are. Moses, you're smart. Moses, you're wise. Moses, you're brave. Moses, you're strong enough. Moses, you're talented enough. Moses, you've got it. No, his answer is not at all about Moses. Moses says, who am I? And God answers him by saying, well, I'll be there. And we're going to continue on because that continues that idea. So Moses says, who am I? God answers, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, sorry, I flipped that. If I go to the Israelites and, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? Again, God's going to answer Moses' worry about who he is and what he should do with the description of who he is. And I believe what happens here is in God saying, I am with you, and then describing who he is, it becomes the answer to Moses' question. Then Moses, then Mo, uh, Moses asked God, uh, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are say to, to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Now, 
We need to do a little work to unpack what just happened. Because what happens in English Bibles and the way we end up with translation in English Bibles obscures some of what's happening. But what happens is God says to Moses, I want you to go and tell them. Moses goes, fine, let's say I do go. What am I going to tell them? He says, tell them that I am sent you. That does not seem to us like a great answer. God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you will say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, and we need to pause right there. Did this come, does this come through on the thing? Good. I'm just looking. You just copied it, right? Okay. Because it's important. So when he says, say the Israelites, the Lord, if you see that Lord, it is in our English translations as an all caps translation, right? You will encounter it in all caps. Now, God is going to say, I want you to go to them. Say, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent me. Say to them in our translation, say to the Israelites, the Lord has sent me, but that the Lord in most Bible translations in English is in all caps, and it's a reason. And then he's going to go on and say later on, this shall be my name in all generations. Now, we need to get into something that happened in English Bible tra translation uh, that, that has a long history about this. But essentially what God is saying is, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent me. And then when we encounter the word the Lord in all caps, that is a representation of, of God's name that was written in the original Hebrew Bible. When it was written in the Hebrew Bible, it was written without caps. So if we were to make kind of an English sort of uh, version of it, it'd be like Y-H-W-H. -H. There were no vowels. And for years, they would encounter that, and they wouldn't know exactly how to pronounce it or how to, how to say it. Now, amongst the, the Hebrews, this name was so sacred that they never spoke it. And because it wasn't spoken, and for other reasons, so if you encountered that, that name, uh, that name uh, with the, uh, without the vowels, starting with the Y, if you, you encountered that, the, the, the Jewish folk would say Adonai. They would say Adonai because they would never speak that word. And because that was common, they, they never spoke that. Coming forward into the, the English, not the English translation, but the Greek translations of the, of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, some of them would, would, would do what's called transliterate. In other words, they would, they would take the, the Hebrew letters and put them into Greek letters. Uh, some of them would, would, would attempt to, to, to translate. Some of them would, would, would replace, would uh, not even transliterate. They would just put the Hebrew words there. So... Here's, here's what happens, is that appearing in, in our text, uh, at verse 15, I am who I, uh, verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites, I am has sent me. God said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord. When we encounter the Lord, it's that word. And that word comes to us, so you've heard it in English. You've heard mispronunciations of it in, in English coming from German. So when they're trying to track down what this means, the German, uh, German theologians translated it to Jehovah. So if you're ever singing uh, a, a song like we sing, uh, there's no God like Jehovah, there's no God like Jehovah. Well, anytime you're singing, there's no God like Jehovah, what you're singing, is a German mistranslation of the name of God as it appears in, in Exodus and as it appears throughout Scripture. We typically pronounce that name Yahweh. And so the name you're encountering is Yahweh, Yahweh and Jehovah, same, same word, Jehovah, just a mispronunciation uh, 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 mis because we didn't know how it was translated. Anyways, God says to Moses, 
I am Yahweh. Tell them that Yahweh has sent you. And when he says that, when he says to tell them that Yahweh has sent you, he's saying something. Now, they've gone all around. They go, what is Yahweh? What is Yahweh? What is Yahweh? Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, just, just to clear up that idea. So in verse 14, God says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord. He's saying, say to them that Yahweh has sent you. And then he says, this shall be my name in every generation. This is how I'm to be remembered. So, uh, so when he says Yahweh there, what is Yahweh? Yahweh is a play on words from something that happens above. So when God says to Moses, I am who I am, this is what you are saying to the Israelites, I am has sent me. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, when he gives that name, the Lord, it's a play on I am. And what it, what it sounds like and the way it's being used, because it was common with, with, with the way Hebrew names happen, is that names had meaning and names were words. It's a play on words. God says I am, and then he says his name is Yahweh, and the name Yahweh means he is. And so God says, say to them that I am has sent me. My name is Yahweh. He is the one who is. And we'll talk about that in meaning in just a minute. But here's, here's what happens. I want to say two things. One thing is, is that when Jesus would read from the Septuagint, and, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, when the apostles would read from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, they would encounter uh, this word as a Greek word called kurios. And when they encountered kurios in this context, they would instantly, because of their culture, translate that to understand that it was representational of the name of God. But they didn't speak that name because of, because of the traditions, because they did not speak that out loud, because they said Adonai, because sometimes in some groups just referred to it as the name, they would understand when they encountered the Lord in this context to, to understand that, to make mental translation of what they did not speak aloud, they would mentally understand that to be Yahweh. We, in our culture, because we do not have that, like I talked about earlier, we do not have the same level of awe or reverence or that sort of thing coming out of our religious tradition. We live on this side of, uh, of Jesus coming. Because of, of those sor sorts of things, we do not have the same cultural understanding and a lot of us don't understand our, our our Hebrew roots if you would our roots that come from 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 the people of Israel and, and that line because we don't understand that when we encounter in scripture the Lord in all caps we read it as a title right when I say the Lord you say well the Lord is a title we understand that as a title, and that's fine. It might encompass some of the meaning, but here in this text, it tends to obscure the meaning because God himself says, this shall be my name in all generations. And when we replace a name with a title, sometimes that can be a little, uh, a little confusing or it can obscure the fact that we have a God and he is a specific one. He has a name. The reason he has a name is because Moses is, is existing in the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, they had many, many gods, right? They worshiped the sun. The sun had a name. It was out there. The sun had a function. It gave heat. It was a god. They worshiped, uh, uh, they worshiped uh, the, 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 the rain. It had a name. They worshiped the weather. They worshiped all of these objects. Uh, they worshiped the, the concept. So they, they had a belief that there was something in the sky that literally held back the rain, they might worship that thing that held back the rain and it had a name. And so there's a sun god and there's a moon god. They feared the sea 
but the sea tended to be an evil sort of mean God. But all of these things had a name, and they were worshiping them for their function. So it's important when God shows up on the scene, he says, I'm God, and I have a name too. It's I am. It is he is. I am Yahweh, and this shall be my name for all generations. When they speak of me, they will know I am this God. So it matters in this context because a title does not encompass this. When God says to Moses, tell them that I am sent you, tell them that Yahweh sent you, he is telling them his name. He's telling them something about himself. And what he's telling them is something radically different than what they would worship in the ancient Near East. He's saying, I am not those gods. See, the sun exists and it's just the sun, but the sun goes down and it might be gone and it might someday bring heat and might not but the sun is conditioned on 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 other things right the earth rotates they understand but the sun came and went the moon came and went rains come and go wind weather all these things are coming and going but they're dependent they're dependent upon something and so all of these gods have function but they're they are limited to what their function is the sun is the god that gives heat but that's what all the sun can do because that's its function. The moon in, in, in that culture gives light to the night. But that's all that the moon can do. That is its function. It's a God, but that's its function. So when, when God says to Abraham here, says to, sorry, when God says to Moses here, the Lord or the God of your fathers has sent me, and they asked me, what is his name, what shall I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to him. I am has sent me. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, he is has sent me. He is saying something. He's saying right into the culture of the ancient Near East, right into the culture of the Egyptians where, remember, the Hebrew children have been, and so syncretism and all kinds of other things have probably happened. There's been some adoption of the Israelite or the Egyptian religion. There's been some adoption of the way the Egyptians think. Right into the middle of that, God says, no, tell them there's a God, and the God has a name, and it's not the God who is the sun, and it's not the God who is the moon, and it's not the God of the sea, but it is the one who is I am. When he says I am and he emphasizes it would tell them Yahweh, he is sent me. He is saying something. What he's saying is this. He is not conditioned by any external force. There is no time when he is not. There's no moment when he shines and no moment when he doesn't. There's no nothing, there's no other God that can come against him. He is not, he is not just something that exists in the universe in, 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 a, in a whole field of other little gods conditioned upon what the little gods by their function. He is bigger than his function. He is the one who assigns function. Right? You go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He tells the water where to go. He tells the sun how to shine. He is the assigner of function. But nothing tells him how to function. He is. It's the most radical saying ever. He is. See, nothing in the universe can say, I am. Nothing in the universe can say that their name is simply, he is. All of you are conditioned upon something, right? So you're conditioned upon a, on a process. You're conditioned upon your mother and your father coming together. You're conditioned upon, upon a gestation period. You're conditioned upon a birth, a, 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 a time of being born. You're conditioned upon a name given to you by your, your parents. You're conditioned 
uh, upon the conditions in your home. You're conditioned upon the conditions in your neighborhood. You're conditioned upon the conditions in your education. You're conditioned upon the conditions in your employment. You're conditioned upon the conditions of how much money you have or how money you don't have. You are conditioned upon literally everything. And so is, by the way, every other human in the world. But God is conditioned on none of those things. There was no period in which he was not. He is. There was no period in which he was called to be. He is. There was no condition upon which he was assigned function because he is. There was no condition upon which there was a gestation. He is. There was no condition upon which, which he had to, be, had to be raised because he is. There is no condition upon which how much he had or how much he didn't have controlled it because he is. In every point, his name screams out, I am the God who is. I am God because I am. And so that, that sounds interesting to us. We go, what does that mean? I am who I am. Well, to a certain extent, it's mysterious. But to the other extent, it's very clear. Everything about human existence, everything about the earth's existence, everything about everything's existence is conditioned upon something else. But God is without condition. He is. He is. He is. And so he says to Abraham, tell them that I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name. What's the name? He is. This is my name in every generation. There is never a time. We know this by studying stars, that there's a scientific lifetime of a star, right? Stars die in the universe. I think I've told this story. We went to see uh, an astronomer, uh, a Christian astronomer speak, and it was really interesting because... Because they, they were, she was talking about how we had been studying this one star uh, out there uh, 16 billion light years away. We'd been studying this one star for all of human history. We'd been studying it. We looked at it. We can go look at it in a microscope. It's there. And she said, on the Tuesday, we saw her speak on a Thursday. On the Tuesday of the week, we went to, uh, to hear her speak. That the uh, college class went out to look at that star to study it, and it was exploded. It was gone. Now... Here's the thing. We, we don't have time to get into young earth, old earth creation. Just, just a simple, simple reality about this is that they, we've been looking at this star for all of human history, and that star blew up before any of us could ever, 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 ever be. Because what happened was it blew up many, 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 many light years ago. But we're just getting the light to us now. right? So that's not the point, but here is the point. Like something we thought was. You could look at, well, that's, my, that's the sun, and the sun will always be there because the suns are always there, right? No. Study astronomy. Suns blow up. They disappear. The moon, that would always be there. Did you know that during the Cold War, the Americans were working on and hatched a plan to blow up the moon in their war with the Russians, right? Now, Thank goodness we didn't do that. I feel like there's some scientific problems with that. Like, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad someone came along and went no on that. Like, listen, maybe not the blow up the moon, moon thing, you know? 
Let's try and go with the speech like, Mr. Gorbachev, bring down that wall. But let's not go with the blow up the moon thing, right? But, but the Americans were going to blow up the moon. And here's the thing. If the moon can be blown up, it means the moon could one day not be. We know this, that there is, in, 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 if you look at space, you look at this, you look at anything, there's a, there's, everything's finite. You were born. You will die. And the point God's making here when he says this, tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am essential. Tell them that, the, that my name is he who is. Tell them what he's saying is, I'm the God who's unconditioned. I did not begin. I will not end. No government can make a plan to blow me up. In fact, those stars that you look at, I knew them when they were born, and I knew it when it died, and I was not conditioned by it. I controlled it. It's a huge, huge deal to say God is the one who is. He's the God who is. It was radical in the time of Moses to say to the people who worshipped other gods and multiplicity gods and worshipped other things. It's amazing that he says, tell them not to worship those gods who are known simply by their functions. I am one who is above all function. I am. I don't cease. I'm the one who is. And I shall be called the one who is for all generations. Having said that, I want you to notice, so if you're reading an English translation, right? And I've read, like, I got deep into the grass this week. I almost an obsession. At one point I said to Dave, I said, I think I want to, I think I want to fight English Bible translation. Like, I don't think they're an entity. But if I could have fought them as an entity, I'm like, I know why they did it. I see why they did it. I get the point. Because in the time when, when in the Septuagint, which is the Bible Jesus read, Yahweh, he is, is translated kurios. It made perfect sense because Jesus grew up in a culture where kurios equaled Yahweh, but we didn't speak it. Now, the problem is, if you grow up in a culture where the triangle equals the circle, you know that triangle equals the circle. But if you come along in another generation, you don't know that, and you see a circle, you think it's a circle. Here's, here's my point. I'm not, I don't even have a, 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 a for sure on whether this should be translated, Yahweh should be translated. I do have a for sure, though, that when you encounter it in Scripture, you should acknowledge that your God has a name, that that name is something, that it is the name. And so if you feel like you should not speak that name, that you should not speak Yahweh, then you can read it, the name, so that you know that it had meaning, that when you encounter it as the Lord in all caps, or the Lord God Almighty, which would be Yahweh Almighty. When you encounter that, you know that it is speaking the name. And the name means something because the name, what it means, is, is representational in, in, the, in the Septuagint, in the Bible that the disciples read, as Lord. But they would have understood that Lord represented Yahweh, and Yahweh was the one who is. It said something. We need to recapture that in, in our English thinking so that when you're reading your Bible and you encounter the Lord in all caps, you know that that is not a title. That is a name, and the name begets the title. Because he is, because he is, I am. Because he is not conditioned. Because nothing, 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 nothing external to him controls him, affects him, or, or changes him. Because of that, he is the Lord, if you understand that. But I think it's important to understand that he has a name. And that name is the one who is. He is, I am, Yahweh. Now, that said, back to Moses, right? Moses is all like, you want me to go and talk to the Pharaoh? I don't talk real good. 
it's later on, but that's his point. He's, he, he doesn't think he's a good speaker, right? So he's like, you want me to go talk to him? What am I doing? God says, I'll be with you. Go, I'll be with you. Now, if the person who goes with you, sometimes like we bring people with us for, for, uh, for uh, support, like, hey, I'll go, but you come with me, right? We bring people, but the problem is like in, in, in things, we're bringing other finite people with us. God says, I'll be with you, but he needs to tell Moses even more what it means that he'll be with him. And when he says to him, Moses, I'll be with you, he says, I am. I'm the God who is. I'm the God who's unconditioned. I'm the God who's unaffected. I'm the God who's uncontrolled. I'm the God who nothing outside of me impacts me. I am Yahweh. That's a way bigger deal when God says that to him. When he says, I am Yahweh. I am he is. So, when Moses is afraid to go, he says, I am. When Moses is afraid to go, he says, my name is he is. You're talking about going to Pharaoh, and you're going to discuss circumstances with Pharaoh, and circumstances seem conditional, but I'm unconditioned. I am who I am. I am God. I'm the one who is. Because I am the one who is. Go and tell them. Here's what I want you to do. You follow a God, and your God has a name. Right? Your God has a name. That doesn't seem, um, that seems logical to us because we, 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 we worship God in the form of Jesus, right? But your God has a, has a name, and he's always had a name in all of history. He's not, he's not impersonal. He's not disconnected. He's not the sun, right? He's not the moon, but he is the one who is above all of it. Your God has a name, and his very name tells you that he is in control of everything, that he is impacted by nothing, that his plans can't fail, that, that what he wants will not change, and that if he gives you a promise, it comes back to this, what did we tell you at the beginning, overall in Exodus, God does what he wants, what he wants is always consistent with his character, therefore he keeps his promises, you can trust the promise of God based upon this, there is nothing in the universe that can impact his plan, he is, and so when God calls you or asks you or wants you, or is, is, is laying upon your heart to do something that you're like, well, who am I that I should do this? God's answer seems to be, it doesn't matter who you are. It's not the point. And so you go, well, that seems mean. I want, well, I, uh, no, I'm not trying to mean mean. It's good news because it doesn't matter who I am, right? Listen, I stumble over about 70 words per message. If things depended upon me, that might be a conservative estimate, too. If, if, if things depended upon me, if it depended on how well I didn't mix up a word or didn't say something, what if it depended on me? That'd be terrible. I can't handle that. God's called me to bring the word of God to you so that you might know him. Right? What if it depended upon me? What awful news that would be. But God's called me to do it. And I go, well, God, can I do it? I don't know. Who am I? God says, it doesn't matter who you are. Tell them about me. I am with you. I am who I am. I'm the one who is. It only matters who I am. And I don't know what you've been called to do from, from, from parenting to sharing the gospel with your family to, 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 to whatever mission God has you on for him. I want you to hear this, that you might be at the point where you're going, who am I? And God's answering, doesn't matter. I am who I am. I am Yahweh, the one who is. And this shall be my name in every generation. Yahweh is with you. 
no matter where or what. He is not conditioned by your situation. He is not shocked by your pain. He, he's not derailed even by your disobedience. But the great news is that when he calls you, he goes with you. And he's told you who he is. And at the end of the day, I'd rather walk into whatever I'm called to do with a God who is than with a me who's just a maybe most of the time. Lean in to this. Your God has a name and he is with you. Pray with me.